to do a similar thing that to what you did with Mike Matthews, except uh, you can actually finish all your sentences. I will not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting one. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I am super excited to have uh, back Mr. Jeff Nippert for the second time on my podcast. And this time we are going to talk about something that is pretty near and dear to a lot of guys and some girls' heart probably, which is shoulder training and building good-looking delts. And, um, you know, Jeff is one of those guys. There are tons of interesting stuff that we could talk about, um, such as his approach to building his online presence and, and business and, uh, you know, just how he com communicates science. And maybe at some day we will talk about all those cool stuff, but we're going to be a bit more vain at this point. So um, for those of you who don't know, but probably a lot of you do know, Jeff has done a really amazing video on this, uh, explaining basically the science of shoulder training. I'll obviously link to that. But Jeff, let's just maybe start with the basics of all of this. Like um, in a general sense, you know, what, what makes a good set of shoulders? Like what makes shoulders look uh, like you lift basically? And to be efficient, how does one create those good-looking set of shoulders and what do most people do wrong in your experience? Okay, um, well, thanks for having me again. It's been, it's been way too long, <laughs> but uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be back. And um, yeah, so uh, also for, just for the listeners, I, I've been battling a bit of a cold, so if you hear that in my voice, uh, just please excuse me. Um, so a good set of shoulders, I think, are complete. Um, so they're round, full. Uh, you hear the term three-dimensional. Um, so basically that just means they're not just developed from the front, but they're also developed from the side and the rear. And um, interestingly, uh, there's this statistic that I've seen floating around the Internet a lot, um, and it's that bodybuilders tend to have – I, I actually forget the exact numbers off the top of my head, but I think it's five times the front delt development of general population, uh, but only one to two times the side delt development of untrained and only 10 to 15 percent more rear delt development or something like that. Um, so it just goes to show that most people are really focusing their training on developing the front delts and maybe not so much the side delts and the rear delts. Uh, in my experience, the people with the best looking delts have well-developed delts overall. Um, so all three heads are, are very prominent. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and to give people an idea, so I'm talking with you on Skype and I see your profile picture here. But guys, if you Google Jeff Nippert, you will probably see this picture also. And the first thing that, that I see is like, wow, like this guy has really massive shoulders. And what I see probably here is, is not your front delts, right? It's probably the, the side of your delts that gives it that really prominent look. Yeah, I agree. Because when you have really developed or even overdeveloped front delts, it can give you more of like a hunched uh, forward dominant position uh, or, or appearance rather. Um, however, when you have really well-developed side delts, it just gives you that illusion of width and it can really, really make you look massive from the front and the side, the rear, basically any orientation. So uh, I think that more people need to focus on the, the middle delts and the posterior delts, which we can get into for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, so maybe let's uh, dissect that a little bit. So probably if we had to, you know, just 
probably the average guy, if we were to draw some statistics, what do they do for their shoulders? Probably the most the biggest majority of them would do shoulder presses, right? Barbell and dumbbell shoulder presses. So what is the big issue with this then? Uh, it's, it's, I mean, there's nothing necessarily wrong with those exercises. And I think they're, they're effective and they should be included in a routine. Uh, but I do think that a lot of guys do tend to overdo it with the pressing. Um, and the main reason for that is that a lot of guys also do a lot of chest training or chest, direct chest training. And, Basically, any pec work is also going to train the front delts to a really large degree. Um, so then doing extra pressing for the front delts in particular is probably going to um, lead to more of a training stimulus than you need. Um, not necessarily that you're overtraining them, but maybe you're uh, building that muscle more than you know the side and the rear. Um, and then that's another thing about presses is the side and the rear delts aren't all that active. So when we look at EMG studies of presses, you tend to see across all of them, and there are a lot of them, uh, that the front delts are very, very highly active in all presses. Um, so whether that's horizontal or vertical, um, but the side are active to a much lesser degree. And then the rear delts are almost silent. Um, so they're not very active at all. So if really all you're doing is pressing or your the you know preponderance of focus is on pressing in your training, then you're getting a lot of front delt and not much side and rear. Um, so I think that that's probably the main problem with that. Um, there are ways that you can make presses more side delt dominant. Um, so if you'd like for me to get into those, I can. Um, yeah, let's let's do it just in a second. But first, um, maybe so so maybe one clever thing or clever thing jesus so like what one good way we could structure this is to go through each head or uh, each muscle of the of the deltoid complex basically and and talk about how like what what is the basic function of each of those i mean it's a little bit tricky to explain i guess uh, in audio and your video explains that really well but if you look at the front delts um, you mentioned that if someone trains their chest a lot, then probably extra pressing is not even necessary for their front delts. But what is the basic function first of the front delts? Um, so the front delt primarily, we'll just go through primary uh, functions. So it's it's shoulder flexion in the sagittal plane. So that basically means like raising your front up or your uh, arm up to the front, like in a front raise, for example. Um, and the middle uh, or side delt, or lateral delt, um, is primarily shoulder abduction. So raising your arm out to the side, like in a lateral raise. And then the rear is horizontal uh, or transverse shoulder abduction. So basically, like if you picture yourself doing a reverse pec deck. Um, so those are the three motions and uh, are the three primary actions uh, of the delt. And you're right, they are quite different. And that's because as a ball, ball and socket joint, uh, there's a very large degree of freedom. Uh, around the shoulder joint itself and so those muscles can perform uh, a lot of different functions um interestingly you know we we always hear them split into those three heads if you will um but those anatomically are technically subdivided even further um so if you look at the the most recent literature on this they consider there to be like seven intramuscular segments so the front delt is actually further split into three more intramuscular segments, and they all have slightly different functions. Um, and the side is tends to be lumped into just one, and then the rear is 
further lumped into three. Uh, so the, the shoulder is a really complex muscle anatomically, um, and there'd be a, a lot to get into. But I think for practical purposes, it, it is helpful to split them into those three groups, and you can think about training them individually as sort of separate muscles. Right. So um, I, I guess um, it's let, let's address this because this is kind of an ongoing discussion that I've had with some people and that I, I see popping up again and again. Do you think that if someone is training their pecs a lot, so they do a lot of horizontal pressing, probably they also maybe do some, you know, maybe some flies, that those all involve the front delts as well. Do you think if someone is doing a lot of those, then it's even necessary or there is any kind of distinct benefit to, in, to include any kind of pressing for your shoulders? I would say yes, uh, just because it is a, a different plane. Um, so, you're, you know, you're not you're not pressing in the horizontal plane anymore. And I think that even from a general training perspective, it's important to include move, uh, you know, movements in different planes of motion, basically. Um, and I think that one thing I've learned just across my bodybuilding career in general is that it is important to sort of like hit a muscle from different angles. That's like kind of bro lore in a way, but I have found it to be true. Um, so if you include, you know, a lot of horizontal pressing, I think, I think it is a good idea if your goal is to maximize shoulder development to also include a vertical press, whether that be an overhead press, a dumbbell press, seated or standing or what have you, I think, or you could, you know, vary those up, uh, periodically. I think including some kind of vertical press is, is still a good idea. Um, I just think that a lot of people overdo it because they see it as, a distinct exercise from the horizontal press. So they think about it like the horizontal press, like the bench press is, is a chest exercise and maybe a bit of tricep or something. Um, whereas a vertical press, that's all shoulder. Uh, in reality, you're activating a lot of this same musculature with these movements, um, but just to varying degrees. And I think that those varying degrees become more and more salient, uh, the more and more advanced you get. Uh, so maybe for more of a newbie, it may be less important to include a, a, wire, a wider variety of exercises. You might be able to sort of optimize your growth with uh, less exercise selection. Um, but I think that as you get more advanced, uh, it's important to include a little bit more variety. Um, but with that said, I definitely don't think it's required. Um, I feel like you could probably maximize your, the development of your delts with a horizontal press. And then if you include some exercises to target the, the side delts and the rear delts as well, you could probably get, you know, the, the best results you're, you're capable of. But, uh, in my experience, it's still a good idea to include a vertical press, um, just for that overall balance. And, um, it's an important movement. It's like a tried and true movement, the press, uh, you, you'll read about it in basically any strength and conditioning book. Uh, so I, I think it's important to include. And I would say maybe one, one good benefit of it is that with, and we are going to get into this a little bit later or just in a second, that with a lot of the exercises that you do for your rear and side deltas, it's hard to uh, go for steady progressive overload week to week because you will, you know, just the exercises don't really lend themselves well to them all the time. And with a, something like a compound pressing movement, it's easier to, to have that. It's an, also a good uh, indicator of strength. So I still have some pressing, for example, in my program, but that's almost purely for like a fungal. Like I set myself the goal of, uh, pressing my girlfriend over my head and. <laughs> 
<laughs> that was really important. Yeah, I'm I'm still far from that, by the way. Like it's it's not because you're heavy, baby. It's because I'm weak. Just uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but anyway. So so let's uh, talk about then um, about the side. So you mentioned that uh, there is a variant of the overhead press that you can do to um, target the side delts better. So maybe we can transition into that with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and another thing you just sparked my memory. Um, so with the horizontal press, you know, EMG research does show that uh, the, the front delts in particular, but the delts as a whole tend to be more active, the greater the incline. So if you're looking at like decline presses and then flat presses and then say 45 degree presses and then vertical presses, um, the vertical press will be more active than the others. Uh, if that makes sense. So if your goal is to maximize the activation of the delts, uh, I think that you're getting more out of the vertical press than the horizontal press, even though they are also very active in the horizontal press, if that makes sense. Um, So if your goal is optimization, yeah, I think vertical pressing is important. Um, And then another thing, just while we're on the topic of front delts, because I'm sure people will be thinking about it, uh, is the front raise. And it's a really popular exercise, but it's one that I don't personally include and I almost never program it in. And there's a few reasons for that. One, we've already said that vertical presses are almost redundant from horizontal presses. And so the front delts you know, tend to get a lot of work in any typical bodybuilding program with a normal amount of chest training. Uh, so adding that and then adding in uh, front raises, which almost solely target the the front delt as well. You do get a little bit of side delt, but not not too much out of them, um, is even further redundant. And then also they're just flat out worse than pressing movements for targeting the front delt. And that's because the front delts have the greatest force contribution above horizontal. Um, so if you're just doing a front raise, typically people will reverse the range of motion after you get to, to horizontal or parallel with the floor, right? Um, but that's actually where the front delts are the weakest, whereas with the press, you have the arms above uh, above horizontal, so they're pressing up overhead. And so the, the front delts are able to contribute more forcefully in that position. Um, so it's like a double negative for, for front raises, in my opinion. Um, some people will say, well, then why don't you just do them like Arnold did, where you kind of lift them all the way up overhead. And you certainly could do that, but I still think it's a far inferior exercise to the press uh, because um, it basically it's a circular uh, path, a circular resistance path. And so you have peak torque when the dumbbell is uh, basically parallel with the floor and then you are reducing the resistance at every point above that until you're directly up overhead and at the bottom where you basically have zero uh, resistance. So um, it's not the greatest resistance curve for the front delts, and then that would be a third strike against that exercise, in my in my opinion. Yeah, right. Not not to mention that uh, the the way most people do the front raise, which is your sh- with your shoulders internally rotated, mm-hmm. I would imagine if you raise it up overhead like that, that it's a pretty strong uh, shoulder impingement risk right there. Yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, especially yeah, if you're internally rotated, that's a, a recipe for disaster, in my opinion, going up that high. Um, yeah. So yeah, strike four. Yeah, great point. 
Cool. So um, then uh, let's uh, touch on the the side So we are now. Let's get into the the good stuff. So this is how basically the basketball 3D shoulders are built. So side delt training 101. So um, how would you start with that in a general sense? Sure. Okay. So first of all, uh, with the press, since I you know we we've both agreed that it is a pretty important shoulder exercise. Um, because of, you know, the, the fact that it's very easy to progressively overload. You can load it quite heavily. Um, it's a good athletic movement. It has a lot of carryover to general strength and so on. Um, so one way to make that a little bit more, uh, to emphasize the side delts a little bit more, uh, is by using a dumbbell variation rather than a barbell or at least using uh, free weights over machines. And that's because the side delt basically has a stabilization component where it helps to keep the shoulder externally rotated. Um, and if you're in a machine or say a Smith machine, um, you're going to be a little bit more locked in. And so that stabilization component of the side delt isn't really going to be utilized that much. And so when you, if you think about it, if you're using free weights, the more degrees of freedom you have, the more that muscle has to work to keep the shoulder joint stabilized. And so it's going to be more active. And if you look at some of the EMG research on this, um, the standing dumbbell shoulder press has the highest side delt uh, activation uh, relative to the other heads. And so um, that's an exercise that I tend to include in most of my uh, shoulder programs. Um, it is, of course, the case that you won't be able to load it quite as heavily, but still you will be able to load it more than, um, say, a lateral raise or something like that. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's a that's a great one to include that I don't think many people are including. Yeah, and, and also it's it's uh, with the dumbbells, it's easier to get a larger range of motion without – I mean, you can get a, a decent range of motion with the barbell as well, but it's a pretty technical exercise. Like there is a – it takes some learning curve to master, you know, you have to lean back so that the bar basically lands on your upper chest if you're doing it standing. If you're sitting, basically, it's impossible to establish full range of motion with a barbell overhead press because your head is in the way as you're pressing it up. So it's kind of a circular <laughs> movement. Um, with the dumbbells, it's you can just uh, kind of play around. Also, for elbow health, it's, it's better because your elbows are not locked in into one rigid uh, plane. Yeah, exactly. Um, I will still include a, uh, a barbell press usually, um, just because I think it's the best and the easiest to, to apply that overload to. Um, and what I'll do is I'll typically then include, uh, the standing dumbbell shoulder press either on a separate day. So say on the, if we're doing a push pull leg split, I'll include that on the other push day. Um, or I'll include it sort of after it, but as more of a higher rep exercise with less of a focus on strength progression if that makes sense yeah and you, you can micro load the barbell pretty well that that's one big advantage of, of the barbell like you can so um what about uh, lateral raise variations then yeah so th so this is probably the bread and butter when it comes to side delt development um so you, yeah you can tweak the press in a way to make it a little more side delt dominant but this you you have to do i think in my opinion a lot of lateral raises to really see um maximum side delt development that you you want um when i you know when i started out training i was really like bro as you call it um and i trained with a bro split but one thing i think i got right 
was I would do lateral raises after every single workout. Um, so that would mean, I think five days a week I was doing three or four sets of lateral raises. And I was doing this when I was like maybe 18, 19 years old. Um, and so I was still really early on in my training career. And I do attribute some of that early work to the Dell development that I currently have. Um, and I think that including lots of these in your program is a really good idea because it's a fairly low impact uh, exercise, fairly easy to recover from. And, um, you know, the side delts aren't a really big muscle that are going to be like really susceptible to a lot of muscle damage. I think that you can add quite a lot of these in. And I think that a lot of people would benefit from, from doing more of these. Um, and of course it's, it's a fun exercise. There are a ton of different ways you can, you can perform it. Uh, you can use dumbbells, cables, bands, machines, and I think all of those are great. And I think you should use variety in your routine and, and include a lot of them. Um, in my personal opinion, uh, my preference is the cable lateral raise just because I find you have a more uh, consistent resistance curve throughout the range of motion. And um, there's a few other variants on this that I like. Uh, I find you can you can lean away, which you'll see like you lean into the direction of the lateral raise. And there's been some research, it's a little bit old now, uh, to indicate that that takes some of the emphasis away from the rotator cuff muscles and puts it onto the side delt uh, by leaning away. So I'll do one arm lean away lateral raises. And I also find that helps uh, in a way me sort of focus on the muscle that I'm working. Um, a lot of people will sort of bastardize their movement, especially if they're using dumbbells and use a little bit maybe too much momentum or maybe they're flying uh, or they're raising a little bit too much out to the front, which isn't going to target the side delts nearly as much. Uh, I find when you lean away and do them one arm at a time, it really allows you to, to focus on activating the muscle that you're trying to activate. Um, and then one variation that I actually picked up from my friend Islam in Egypt is the lean away between the legs cable lateral raise. And if any of the listeners haven't tried this one, I really strongly recommend it. Uh, basically, you just put the cable between your legs, uh, hold on to some sort of upright, and then lean into the direction of the raise. And um, that's that's one that I've had a lot of success with with my, my clients and myself as something that feels very comfortable. A lot of people say that they, they really feel that working their side delts really well. So that's a, that's a little interesting technique you can try out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking like, um, you're probably much more well, well versed in, uh, like anatomical stuff than, than I am, uh, like muscle anatomy. But, um, if you are leaning away, then basically the resistance starts at the point where you are, uh, how do you say that your arm is basically perpendicular to the floor floor, right? Yeah. 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 And, and so it's basically then it's the same as if you were to doing a, a dumbbell lateral raise, right? Yeah. In a way, uh, the idea, the idea with this, with the lean away is to have your shoulder slightly abducted already. And that's because I think the first 30 degrees or so of abduction, uh, your rotator cuff contributes a lot to that. Again, this is, this is older research and I've had a few people contest this. You might want to take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but I've seen both anatomical grounds for it, uh, in the literature and then also computer simulated grounds for it. 
Um, there was one really interesting study where I think he was like a physicist or some sort of like crossover scientist or what have you. But in any case, he did these really complicated looking calculations where he sort of measured the impact of using slight momentum at the beginning of the lateral race and sort of looked at its activity or its effect on um, force output. And he basically was measuring what he called total hypertrophy stimulus for the delts. And he found that a very specific uh, angular momentum at the beginning of the lateral raise uh, led to greater total hypertrophic stimulus for the delts. Um, and basically, like when I read it, what I kind of took from this was that if you use a slight bit of momentum, so say you allow your lower back to uh, contribute slightly to get the, the weight moving, what you're able to do is perform the lateral raise with more weight in the most advantageous portion of the range of motion, which is the, which are the 30 to 60 degrees of abduction. So if you have your arms land, like just straight down by your side, that would be zero degrees of abduction. If you raise them out, you know, slightly to your side, that might be 30 degrees abduction. Then you raise them up a little more. That would be 60. You raise them up. So they're parallel with the floor. That would be 90 degrees of abduction. So he found using this computer simulation that the most advantageous position would be between 30 to 60 degrees of abduction. So what, what he basically concluded was that using this very specific angular momentum to generate a little bit of, of cheating at the beginning, um, would allow you to sort of get the dumbbells to that 30 to 60 degree zone uh, a little bit more easily and then have your your deltoid contribute more to abduction at that point. Um, that's kind of the idea. And then I feel like that is sort also sort of implicated in the lean away raise where by leaning away, now when your arm is straight down and perpendicular to the floor, it's actually about 30 degrees abducted already. So you're starting from that mo most advantageous position, whereas if you're just standing upright, you're basically starting right at zero degrees where the side delt isn't as effective um, at contributing to force production, if that makes sense. Um, so so that, that's basically my case for the lean away. Um, some people might say that that's just a little bit too in the weeds. Maybe it's not practical. But in my experience, I've found that a lot of people do, at the very least, feel their side delts working more when they're leaning away. And I think that that in and of itself is a very important factor um, because when you're trying to isolate specific uh, heads within a muscle, I think that you need to be able to to feel those muscles working. And there's also literature to support that. Uh, the fact that if you think about specific muscles, especially in isolation exercises, then you can activate them to a greater degree. Um, so that's, that's that. Very interesting. And, um, and, and two, uh, things I'd like to touch on is, um, some things that people are, uh, trying to usually make kind of compromises with if they have shoulder problems generally is, how high they raise their hands with, with the lateral raise. And the, the other thing, well, as you said, sometimes they kind of uh, raise their ar arms to the front, like uh, as if it was kind of a, a lateral raise, front raise hybrid. And sometimes what they also do is kind of uh, raise their uh, hands with the elbows bent. So um, so, so what, what is your take on these? Um, so I think that in terms of where you should stop, I think a lot of that is going to be really individual, uh, for people who have any kind of shoulder issue at all, I would say to stop 
at the very highest, once your arm is at 90 degrees of duction or once it's parallel to the floor. Uh, that's where I personally stop most of the time. Uh, interestingly, um, I think that the full range of motion lateral raise has made a bit of a comeback. Um, I think you've had mental, mental Hensman's on here a few times. Uh, that's an exercise that I kind of picked up from him. And I know that he teaches it in a quite specific way. Uh, but certainly it shows that it can be performed, you know, safely in people who have no history of, of shoulder uh, injury, I think. Um, so you can go all the way up. And I actually find that to be a really good trap movement, um, almost like a burnout trap sort of movement. And that's something that I've actually used quite a bit, but I do think of that as a different exercise because I think once you get above horizontal or above parallel in the lateral raise, your traps do start to take over more, uh, at least in my experience. And so I like to think of the full range of motion lateral raise as more of a trap exercise than a side delt exercise, but it certainly can be done. You just want to be careful not to internally rotate. So pointing your pinkies up when doing the full range of motion is probably a pretty bad idea. Um, so I like to try to keep my thumb a little bit more pointing up when, when doing it that way. Uh, but for general, for general public, for people who are not, you know, uh, advanced bodybuilders trying to get <laughs> every morsel of muscle they can, then I would say to stop at, stop at horizontal. It's just safer. And what you get out of going higher than that probably isn't worth the risk of impingement. Um, and then in terms of going out to the front, I like, I like to think of it. You're just going straight out to the side. Um, that's, that's how you're going to get, because that's the way that the, the side delt fibers run They're They're right in that scapular plane. So you want to think about going straight out and then, Oh, the bent elbows. Okay. So I, I don't like bent elbows, especially if I'm doing it with uh, dumbbells, um, just because your, your biceps are kind of taking a brunt of the load for no reason, really, if you think about it, like you're basically doing an isometric curl at that point. Um, so I wouldn't do it that way. I would have your arms complete, either completely straight or with a slight bend in the elbow, if that's more comfortable. I personally like a slight bend in the elbow, um, but it's, it's very slight. And sometimes on machines, you will, you have to use a, uh, a bent arm and that's totally fine. Um, I don't think that that's a big deal because with a machine, you've kind of got, uh, more of a, a fixed resistance anyway. And so your biceps and, and the load isn't being applied that way. So your biceps aren't going to contribute at all. Awesome. Cool. And, and, and then, uh, you, you touched for a second on, uh, how you point your pinkies or how you ro rotate your hands when you do a full range of motion lateral raise. But, but if you just stop at, at, um, at parallel, then, uh, can, can you rotate your pinkies upwards? So this is something, this is a cue that I've always used. Um, it's a little bit controversial. Uh, a lot of physical therapists give me heat for this. Um, I know it's, it's unpopular to do the pinkies up cue because it's been shown and it has been shown that internal rotation plus shoulder abduction does reduce subacromial space. So basically it does increase your risk of shoulder impingement, which is not a good thing and can exacerbate or cause uh, injury. I've always used this cue. I've never noticed any issues myself. I know tons of bodybuilders who have used this cue and have never had any issues with it. So my general advice is to just proceed with caution with this one. Um, if you have any history at all of uh, shoulder injury, um, or even if you're 
you know, fearful that you, you might develop it, then I wouldn't do it just because the slight increase in activation, I think that you're getting with internal rotation might not be worth that extra injury risk. Um, but it's, it's sort of like, you know, there are degrees of pointing your pinky up, right? Like you could come as if you're like pouring out a glass of water, you could completely turn it up <laughs> so that you're totally internally rotated and your risk of impingement is going to be a lot greater than if you just have a very slight pinky up to sort of turn on that mind muscle connection. Uh, I don't think that that very significantly increases your risk of shoulder impingement. Um, and that's more or less what I do. I like to think of this even more so as a psychological thing, like pointing my pinkies up puts my side delt in more of a position to, to contribute in, in my head, if nothing else. And so I find it to be uh, a, more of a, a cueing thing than anything. Um, but yeah, proceed with caution with that one. Yeah, yeah, and and just just one note on that one. Like, if if you're if someone listening to this is concerned, and you touched on this in your video, I know is um, just a, a chest up kind of cue, and retracting your shoulder blades slightly, uh, that also helps to increase subacromial space, so you're less of a risk of in impingement. Yeah, that's that's a good so. Point. I was just about to ask you about um, upright rows, but maybe that then that it would be a good good time to finally delve into the rear delts um, because um, they're in the back and as such they tend to get neglected. So, what are good rear delt exercises? And um, yeah, so let's just start there. Sure. Um, so, just really quickly on the upright row. Uh, this is another exercise a lot of people write off because they think it's going to mess up their shoulders. Um, but the, the upright row is another really good adjunct to the lateral raise, in my opinion. Um, so if we were, if I was to summarize it in three basic things, I would say include free weight presses rather than machine presses. Uh, and specifically, you can include the standing dumbbell sh shoulder press. Um, include lots of rear delt or, or rather uh, lateral raise variations and perform them frequently. Uh, and then thirdly would be to include an upright row if you can. Um, and this is because if you think about it, the upright row is basically performing the same basic movement pattern that you perform on a lateral raise. You're basically raising your upper arm out to the side. Um, and so to make this more effective, uh, you want to use a slightly wider grip, um, You want to think about, you almost want to think about pushing your arms out rather than just rowing up, if that makes sense. I find that can turn on the, the side delts a bit. And I also, I personally, you know, if you're using a barbell, then use the wider grip. I personally like to use a rope and a cable for this. And I slightly lean back and I think about pulling the rope apart. And then that sort of mimics the wider grip. And it also turns on my side delts a lot. Uh, and to reduce shoulder impingement on this one, you basically just want to stop once your elbows are at shoulder height. So don't row all the way up to your ears. Um, that can help get the traps more involved. But if we're just strictly talking about the side delts, then you want to stop at that point where your, your elbows are at your shoulders. Um, so that's it for that one. Yeah, great. And then um, so to transition into the rear delts, is the upright row more of a rear delt or is it more of a side delt exercise in your opinion? I would say side delt. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because it, you just think about the 
the movement pattern. It's it's basically shoulder abduction. It, it will it will hit the rear delts to a degree, but it's not nearly as good as exercises like reverse pec decks, um, cable crossovers, rope face pulls, those sorts of things that are clearly training horizontal abduction. Right. So um, so then uh, rear delt. So I guess a good um, rear delt variation of the the upright row would be something like a face pull. Or so, so basically, you're changing the angle of pull, essentially, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so anything where your arms are more out in front of you and you're bringing them uh, to the side in in the the coronal plane, or in uh, the, basically the plane that would split your body into a upper half and a lower half, um, that's going to really effectively hit the the rear delts. Um, compound movements like rows are also pretty good rear delt exercises. Um, but I'll just quote Brent Contreras because he's done a lot of work on this. He's basically said, um, not in published work, but elsewhere that isolation exercises kick the shit out of compound exercises for rear delt activation. Um, so while rows and, and, and those sorts of exercises, pull downs, yeah, they do hit the rear delts to a degree. Um, they're not going to target them as effectively as will reverse pack deck, um, reverse flies. So bent over, uh, bent over raises, basically dumbbell raises, what have you, uh, reverse cable crossovers and rope face pulls. Those are, those are just standard rear delt movements that are the most effective. Excellent. And, um, so, so, so one, um, so maybe just, just briefly let's touch on like what kind of general, um, volume recommendations we could give to people on this so you you mentioned some figures on in your video if you just want to briefly reiterate them yeah sure i think that it's going to be really highly individual um and it'll depend on on the rest of your your programming um but like like i said if, if we if we split them up um for front delt i don't think people really need any extra isolation work there at all. Um, so whatever pressing you have in your routine is probably good. Um, adding in something like a maximum of, I would say probably six to eight sets of vertical pressing per week, uh, is definitely sufficient to, to optimize developments there. In my opinion, assuming you're already doing uh, horizontal pressing, um, for the side and the rear together, uh, I think Mike recommends something around 20 total sets. Uh, so that would be for the side and the rear combined um, per week. Um, I think that I, I, I personally think that you could go over this. Like if you're adding in, um, you know, lateral raises, three sets, I feel like you could quite easily do that every day if they're lagging and recover from that just fine. Um, so it does depend if you're doing upright rows, like heavy upright rows, obviously you're going to have a, a lower set requirement there. Um, but somewhere in those, those ballpark ranges, I think is when you're looking at that, like line between optimizing development. And then if you start doing a lot more, again, depending on your advancement, you could start running into recovery issues. Yeah. And, and one, one, uh, one question that I'm sure a lot of people are thinking is, is how, how would you count, uh, like kind of crossover volume from from different uh, movements so of course if you like a lot of the rear delt movements are involving the side delt and vice versa so would you count those in or would you count the volumes separately and then just do lower of each um i i would i would count them as both uh just to be 
more conservative. Um, I feel like it, it really depends on your overall training philosophy on this, but I think, I think you should, you should count them as both. So if you're doing a rope face pull, you could count that as a side delt exercise and as a rear delt exercise because the side delt is also really active in that movement. Um, but I feel like kind of like tracking macros, this is something that you have to, to guess and check because it will be really highly individual. So as long as you're consistent with how you're tracking this or if you, you know, you can roughly track it, gauge your progress, gauge your progression, and then you either just want to adjust it up and down. Um, because these are just like, from my understanding, like these are just very general, <laughs> broadly construed recommendations. And for you, you're going to want to see, okay, you know, have a rough look at what you're doing for side delts right now. Maybe you're only doing three sets OB. Maybe you're just doing three sets of lateral weight raises and that's it. Well, and you're not progressing in the way you want. You're going to want to add in more and more and more. And then as you get to that range where, you know, you're combined, let's say you're getting to like, you know, 10 to 12 sets per week, you, you may want to start slowing down with how much you're, you're sort of titrating it, if that makes sense. Um, but that, that's how I would look at it. Right. And, and then would you also recommend counting volume from things like, you know, pull-ups and rows, which are not optimal for rear delt development, but are involved, of course, to some degree, or would you count them as separate? I, I definitely wouldn't in this case. Um, I would count those, those as more back volume than anything. Um, just because they're, they're, they're targeting so much musculature, which I guess also like brings into question, like how can a row count as three sets in the same way that a reverse pec deck would? I mean, they're, they're taxing the body in totally different ways. So this is where you kind of have to use some common sense also, right? And just look at your global overall recovery and think about what's most likely contributing to that rather than just saying, well, I had 10 sets of exercises for rear delts and I was progressing nicely. But when I added in that 11th set, you know, I was completely wrecked. It's unlikely that that's going to be the main cause of your recovery issues. There are probably other factors in your programming. Maybe you're training too frequently. Maybe you're doing too many globally fatiguing exercises, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, to simply answer your question, I don't think I would count those as rear delta exercises. I'm talking about isolation exercises in this case. Awesome. Excellent. Yeah. Um, well, I think we basically covered everything. Is there something that I definitely should have asked you about this and I didn't? Um, one thing I was just thinking about when we were talking about uh, rear delts is, again, the importance of a mind-muscle connection because it's really, really easy for your traps to take over. The same thing goes for lateral delts. And this is a common question I get a lot, especially from women, is how do I prevent my traps from taking over? Um, so one cue that I like to use on lateral raises is to think about pushing the dumbbell or the cable or whatever you're using out rather than thinking about raising it up. Um, because as we could get into the, the, the traps primarily contribute to scapular elevation. And so if you're thinking about raising the dumbbell up, it's, there's a good chance you're going to be doing some, uh, portion of shrugging as well. Whereas if you just think about pushing out with the back of your hand, you're primarily just going to be abducting the shoulder. And I find that that's a really, really good cue for that. Um, and then with the, with the rear delts, you don't want to think about doing too much scapular retraction. You don't want to think about pulling your shoulder blades together. Instead, you want to think about 
pushing out with the back of your hand or with the side of your hand, depending on your grip um, with those. Another thing that I get asked a lot is about the specific grips. So let's just take a pack deck, for example. Should you grip it with a neutral grip or with your palms down um, or, or what have you? Um, I say to play around with different grips and focus on what you feel working the best. Um, in at least one study uh, from Schoenfeld, he found that a neutral grip led to greater rear delt activation. Uh, so I generally recommend people start with the neutral grip, which is actually not what most people do in my experience. Most people have the palms down when they do rear delts. Um, so try try starting with the neutral grip, and then if you find that to be awkward or you're not able to move as much weight, then you can absolutely go back to the, the palms down grip. Um, but I think that there, even though I do make a big deal out of grips and I do, t or I wouldn't say I make a big deal out of them. I do touch on them in my videos just because people want to know. And there is a good bit of research out there on it. I think a lot of that really just comes down to individual anthropometry, how your skeleton is set up and what's going to allow you to kind of feel that muscle working the best. So I generally go like from a first approximation, let's go with what this EMG research has shown. Um, but then if you don't feel that individually, then you should play around with something else. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually glad you mentioned this because, um, for, with the reverse fly. So I, I did, uh, standing, you know, I, I, it was a adjustable cable pulley where you could adjust the height from where the cable was coming from. So I was standing and I was doing standing reverse cable flies. And for the longest time, I just, I felt everything. I basically just felt the movement being really awkward and hard, but I didn't really feel my rear delts. And for the longest time, I had to play around with how I, I was um, slouching or, or arching with my back or how I was positioning my, with my hands. And yeah, actually the same thing worked for me as what you just mentioned, uh, playing around with the grip position. So it can make a big difference, actually. And then one other thing that I find to be really uh, effective programming-wise is to use intensity techniques. Um, I think that things like drop sets, um, myo reps is another one that I use, uh, supersets. I think that these can be really effective. Obviously, you don't want to overdo them, uh, and you might want to save them for the end of your workout, uh, or at least for, say, the final set uh, of, of a certain muscle. But I think, uh, I think that for the, some of these more stubborn body parts and the, you know, the side delts, the rear delts can be stubborn on some people, uh, just using these intensity techniques can be effective to sort of spark some new growth. So I'd recommend playing around with those, doing things like isometric holds. Even one thing I've done is I'll hold, if I'm doing a lateral raise rather than just going through the motions, doing a plain kosher dumbbell lateral raise, I'll hold one dumbbell out to the side so that it's held in the contracted position, so parallel to the floor. And then I'll do 10 lateral raises with the other arm, and then I'll hold that one out, and then I'll do 10 lateral raises with the arm that was being held and sort of repeat that uh, to failure. Um, you can do things like myo reps, which is basically you take a set, say, of 15. I, I like to do myo reps on uh, machine lateral raises because I find it's a little more easy to keep your form more consistent. Um, and so you'll do, like, say, 10 reps to failure, pause for a couple of breaths, so say five seconds, and then you do uh, another mini set of five reps, pause for a couple breaths, do another mini set of five reps, and you just repeat that until you can no longer get five reps. And 
I just find this to be effective because a lot of people I feel like don't take their, uh, they're not taking enough. They're, they're not really pushing themselves as hard as they could, I think, to maximize their, their development. And so I'm, I'm a big fan of those, those intensity techniques for those smaller, smaller muscles that are able to recover more quickly. And, uh, people do tend to have a bit of a tougher time isolating in practice. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great point. Like a lot of the techniques that now we frown upon as kind of prolific, like, you know, supersets, drop sets, all of that stuff. Those things actually work great for the delts oftentimes. And, and just one thing that I want to reiterate to people is that finding kind of the, the volume sweet, sweet spot for yourself is very, very powerful. So, you know, I tried everything from minimalistic training to just blasting my delts with, you know, 20 plus sets every week. And really now, for example, just for people to know, as an example, I do uh, three sets of shoulder presses because I do a lot of, um, you know, horizontal pressing already. And then I do six uh, lateral raise movements, three with cables, three with uh, dumbbells on two different days. I do three sets of uh, reverse flies and then three sets of kind of, it's kind of a face pull upright row hybrid because I'm doing it on a seated rowing machine with the rope. And, and, you know, just the other day I was, <laughs> I've, I've done this for a while now and I just looked in the mirror and, um, it's like, holy shit, why am I so freaking wide? <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah. I, and I measured my shoulder and it was like an inch bigger, basically, like almost three centimeters bigger than the last time I measured it. And I think it's because I found that volume sweet spot for myself. So that's very powerful. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I feel like, um, yeah, it would be ill-advised for me to say just, you know, blast your del delts, do as much volume as you can. That may work for some some of the volume freaks who are just, for whatever reason, seem to respond better to that. But I think for the most generalizable advice, I feel like you're right. You do need to sort of guess and check just like with your, your macros and figure out what you respond best to. And a good starting place, I think, for someone who's, you know, more in the intermediate zone, let's say, uh, would be something similar to what you just sketched out. Great, great. Well, Jeff, I think uh, this was awesome. You really didn't hold anything back and we gave a really cool overview. And, you know, if people are curious about different progression methods and how to design and tweak this for yourself, then they can check out your program that you put together. And I will, of course, link to your video. So uh, thank you so much. And um, yeah, I guess last question is where, what kind of resources and uh, places would you like people to go to check your stuff out? Um, yeah, so most of my efforts now are put into my YouTube channel. So I'm really active over there, uploading two or three times per week. Uh, so it's a combination of informative content, stuff like this, but a little bit more short form. Uh, and then also my own fitness journey. So I do some training vlogs, uh, daily vlogs and the occasional interview. Um, and I wanted to get, I'm wanting to get back into more of that, but yeah, you can find that on my YouTube channel and it's just youtube.com forward slash Jeff Nippert. Yeah. So for those people who actually don't have enough time to listen to one hour weird things like this, go ahead and check <laughs> out this channel because you will find really compact, awesome information. So, uh, yeah, Jeff, thank you so much again. It was awesome talking to you. Yeah, it was a pleasure. We'll have to do it again sometime soon. Hey guys, I just want to tell you again that your inputs for this podcast will help it grow more than anything and your requests, ideas and comments will contribute to awesome content going live on this channel and podcast more than anything. So if you want to contribute, the best thing you can do is to go on Facebook and look up Sustainable Self-Development. You'll find both the page and the Facebook group that is dedicated to discussions and ideas being thrown around. 
go there and note down your comments about what kinds of topics or guests you want to be featured on this podcast and YouTube channel in the future. Just keep in mind the general theme of this podcast and my YouTube channel, which is to help people becoming their best selves in terms of lifestyle as it pertains to fitness and general personal development. This podcast is really dedicated to self-improvement, both physically and mentally. So keep that in mind. So thanks again for tuning in and see you next time.